Daryl Evans, and he is a uh, he is the church and discipleship and leadership multiplication strategist for the International Baptist uh, Convention. Daryl was a pastor for many years within the IBC, uh, planted a church down in Ramstein, and uh, a former uh, his former Air Force sergeant, and then came out and, uh, and pa- planted and pastored a church, and he's a, a native of Texas. Uh, but being from Idaho, I will not hold that against him. And uh, <laughs> But there's a young lady from Oklahoma here. I'm not quite sure if she'll be able to do that, but the grace of God will flow, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, we want to thank you, Daryl, for coming and sharing the word with us today. And I'm sure you all will uh, appreciate hearing uh, from Daryl. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Yeah, I was a little confused. I'd heard about this church facility being a former retreat a long time ago, and I walked into this area, and I'm like, it looks like a retreat. It looks like a place of rest and relaxation. Uh, But then there's so many people running around doing all these activities that Jeff was talking about and and that you were part of. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. I thought it was retreat and rest. (laughs) It's a lot of work going on, so praise the Lord. it's so good for me to be here with you. For, for me, it's such a blessing. I've had a chance the last couple of days to get to know uh, several of you uh, on a one-on-one basis. And it's just always a treat for me to get to meet brothers and sisters from literally, physically, all over the world. All over the world. Um, when, I talk to, when I talk to people in some places of the world... Um, that are a little more similar to each other, a little more homogenous. They don't understand a church like IBC Dusseldorf. <laughs> Maybe you don't understand a church like, I don't know. You know, they don't understand. I talk about, you know, English language international churches. And they look at me, huh? You know, in English language international churches all over the world. Um, and they just don't, they don't get it. And they say, well, why would you have a church like that? And I kind of bait them. I want them to ask that question. I'm like, that's a great question. Why have an English language international church? Uh, and I said, well, that's a great question. I have two great answers for you. They go together. First of all, there's this thing in the Bible that many of us have come to call the Great Commission. And we won't turn there for the sake of time this morning. This isn't even the, 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 the part of the sermon sermon it's just introductory comments but there's this thing in the bible that we find at the end of matthew for example the gospel of matthew that says uh we call it the great commission and it says go and make disciples of a few people no go and make disciples of all nations go and make disciples of all nations and that is the great commission as we call it and there is no greater purpose in life there is no greater thing that we could go after than that great commission secondly we have a great opportunity. Many of us, you in particular, have a great opportunity. There's another passage of scripture, a simple little sentence, and I won't go there for, again for the sake of time this morning. But we find in the Acts, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 5, there's a, a verse that there's no theology coming out of this verse. There's no great doctrine. There's no great instruction for us to obey. Uh, it's just a verse that almost just says something like, you know, well, it was about 72 degrees today, and it was partly cloudy, and there were some people, you know, having a good time. It's just a description. But this sentence says this, and it's profound, really. The sentence says, in that day, there in Jerusalem, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. What? 
that many, 2,000 years ago, in one city named Jerusalem, there were God-fearing people from every nation under heaven, from every nation on the planet. So this thing that we call globalization, this thing that you're a part of, the expat community, the international scene, it is not a new thing at all. It's not 21st century. It is first century, and it's been going on. I think, actually, I think Adam and Eve are the first expats. Huh? They packed up and went somewhere else, so they were the first to move about. So why have churches like this? Great question. Great answer. We have a great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And we have, in many cities like Dusseldorf and cities around the planet, we have a great opportunity where all the nations from around the world are coming together, at least for a time, as they move about uh, for many reasons in, in this city. So we have a great commission and a great opportunity as well. I myself am a product of that great commission and that great opportunity. Uh, in my, I won't tell you exactly how long ago, but a lot of years ago when I was in my early 20s, I found myself for the first time living outside my passport country. I was living in a, in a, in a country called England, uh, and I came to realize through different circumstances and people involved in my life, I came to realize that one, I was far from God, and two, I was far from home. Well, the first, I, first thing I realized was I was far from home. Like, this is not, this is not Texas. <laughs> this, is not, this is not the United States. I mean, a lot of the words are the same, uh, but this language is not the same. Uh, this is not, I am far, far from home. And then I began to realize I was far, far from God. And there happened to be a small church, much, much smaller than Dusseldorf, a small church of internationals speaking English together, worshiping in a little house in a little town called Sheffield. Uh, England, and uh, that's where God got my attention, and the rest of the story, he, he, get, he saved my life. This morning, I want us to look, this is the scripture, and this is the sermon. Uh, I would like us to look at Luke chapter 10, so if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to it however you do that, in your old-fashioned Bible or in your phone, Bible app, either way works. So turn with me to the Luke, to the, the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 10. And just for a little bit of context, I've, I, I mentioned the Great Commission already, but, but let me kind of put some things real quickly in a kind of a chronological context. So just as we sang in the very first song that we sang today, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. All right, so that happened first. And Jesus grew up and he started his earthly ministry. Then that happened. Jesus began to call his disciples and that happened. And he, so, he told his disciples that, that he called. He said, I will make you fishers of men, saying, I will send you out. So Jesus came. Jesus began to minister. He began to make disciples himself. And then he began to send them out. And the first group we read about in the scripture was he sent out the 12, the 12 apostles. And they went out in the power of Jesus Christ. And they went out to make disciples. And they came back with their great reports. Then we come to what we're going to look at today. Jesus sends out the 72. Sometimes we say 70, 72. We, he sends out this group of disciples. Not, not apostles, okay, but just regular Christians like you and I. So that happens next. And then after he sends out the 72, chronologically speaking, then comes this thing we call the Great Commission, where Jesus says in his last 
instruction, his last command, before he would ascend back to the Father in heaven, he, uh, he says, now go and make disciples of all nations. So he said that to his, his apostles, he said that to the 72, and in his great commission, he said that to you and me, and everyone that would ever be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have been sent. And so that's the chronological context. Let's look at this one particular narrative here in Luke chapter 10. And this, this is not telling us exactly what to do, but here's an example of Jesus' instruction to believers just like you and I. And so I'm just the kind of guy that says, okay, well, Jesus tells him to do it, and he says to do it this way. It may not be the only way, but it's the way Jesus instructed, so I think we should give that a try. <laughs> we should try and do it the way Jesus told us. So first of all, let's look at the, the first couple of verses. In Luke chapter 10, the very first few verses. <clears throat> my, my, my translation says this, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So here's some preliminary instructions and information that Jesus gives them. Before they would leave his presence, before they would walk out of that room or off the side of this hill, wherever they might have been, before they took off and, and, and went, Jesus says, here's some instruction and things you need to know. He says, first of all, I am sending you. And what do we get from that? We are sent people. If we are followers of Jesus, then we are sent of Jesus as well. Again, in the very first song that we sang this morning, it spoke of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven and coming to this, into this world to save us from our sins. Jesus was the first one sent. He was sent by the Father. And then he would send others, and then he would send us. But we are sent people. That is gospel. That is truth. Now, whether we are going, that's a different story. But we are, in fact, sent by God to go and make disciples. He sends us out two by two. I think that's important. I don't want to do things alone. I don't think God intended us to do anything alone. I think he intended us for us always to work in community. I mean, God is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's always been a family uh, business. It's always been a team work or approach. So God sends us out, and he sends us out together. He sends us out ahead of him, the scripture says. Literally means to go before his face. And we know this, that God is with us. He is in us. He is around us. He goes before us. He follows after us. And he is there all the time. Sometimes we, like, we get scared, and we're fearful, and we feel alone. But that's just a feeling. That's not reality. The reality is that Jesus, his spirit, is with us at all times. So he says, you are sent. I am sending you out two by two to every town and place where I will go. He sent them out ahead of him to every single town and place. I won't try to say all the German names of the different areas or towns around here, but you can think of it. To every place means, yes, that town. This part of town, that side of town, the city next door, that city, to the very ends of the earth, to every town and every place is where we've been sent. In verse 2, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
So he said, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the harvest, as we under, understand, is, is those are the people in this world who are yet to hear or yet to believe in the word of God, to yet receive the love of God and place their faith in him for salvation. That is the harvest. And Jesus says, that is plentiful. That is plentiful. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, there is harvest abundantly. But what's needed, what's missing is workers. The workers are few. So before they even, you know, begin to go, Jesus says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, which is God. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers. And then just as soon as Jesus finishes saying, pray for workers, he says, go. <laughs> I don't know if they had time to pray, but if they had time to pray right then, they were the answer to their first prayer. Oh, Lord, send harvest, you know, workers into the harvest field. And Jesus says, go, and they go. <laughs> they were the answer to their own prayer, maybe. I am sending you. Again, we are sent. Now, I used to skip this next part in verse, uh, verse 4 or verse 3. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I, on, I used to skip that part. That sounds scary. I don't know what it means. I don't want to tell people that because no one's going to go <laughs> if they're lambs sent out, you know, among wolves. But if you take a look at other passages in the scripture like the Gospel of John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Oh, okay, well that changes things now. Yeah, I'm a sheep, I'm a lamb, but I'll go out among wolves and I won't be scared. Because I will go with my great shepherd. I will go with my great shepherd who lays his life down in protection of me. And now, now I'm not scared because I'm a lamb going out like in the, in the midst of wolves. Now I am courageous. Now I am bold. Now I am strengthened. And, and, and let's go. Because I go with my shepherd who is going to go before me and with me and behind me and, and take care of me. Verse 4 says, do not take a bag or sandal uh, purse and do not greet anyone on the road. I just think <clears throat> Jesus is saying, you don't need a lot of stuff. Just obey. You don't need a lot of things to go with you. You don't need a lot of information. You don't need a lot of resources. You don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of anything except a lot of faith in me, a lot of obedience from you. Go, go. Don't talk to people along the road. I don't think Jesus is telling us to not be uh, uh, kind or friendly. He's speaking to the urgency of the matter. So this is like his, what I think is his preliminary instructions. And now he says, okay, now, now when you start going, here are some things to do. Again, I'm the kind of person that's always looking for the simple application. I don't want to make things complicated and, and, and uh, bigger and more complex than they are. I'm looking for what? I'm looking for basic steps of, of obedience. When I look at the scripture, the word of God, I'm like, how do I obey this? In its simplest form, what's it telling me to do? How do I obey Jesus? And so I find, by the way, I look at this passage, I find if you will, four steps, four steps that a person can follow, a, a way we can kind of live our life in a way as we go and make disciples. So look with me first uh, at verse five. In verse five, Jesus is instructing, he says, when you enter into a house, so once you get out there and you start going to every town and place, he says, when you enter a house first, and that's, I guess that's what made me think there might be some steps here. First, second, third, fourth. First, 
Say peace to this house. Say peace to this house. Well, what are we doing? Who are we saying peace to? We're saying, we're speaking to God. When we're asking that peace be on this house, who are we asking? Who can give peace to this house? Only God can. So when we say peace to this house, what we are in fact doing is what we call pray. We are praying for this house. We're praying for these people. So I see this as a very obvious first step. First step, pray for people. As you're out and about, town to town, different places, when you live, wherever you go, uh, in your workplace, in your school building, in your, uh, in your neighborhood, wherever you encounter people in the harvest field, be praying for them. Be praying for them, not in, in, in general sense, but also in very specifics. You say, well, how do I pray for a person specifically? I don't even really know them. I just see them at the grocery store, at the kiosk. I only see them on the, on the U-Bahn every day when I go to work. I, only, I don't know much about them. Well, here's a way. Here's a way that we can pray for people even if we don't know them at all. We can pray blessings by using this little acronym, B-L-E-S-S. Pray for their body, their health, their physical well-being. Pray for their labor, their livelihood, their income, their jobs. In this context, I know people come through our cities so often and employment, finding employment is critical uh, to their livelihood. So pray for their, their livelihood and their employment. E, pray for their emotions, how they feel. You know what it's like to be the, the new kid at school. You know what it's like to be brand new in a, in, a, in a city that's in a country that is not your home country. You know the emotions you go through. Uh, so pray for their emotions, how they feel, how they think, and they cope with life. Pray for their social life. BS. Pray for their social life. You know what it's like, again, to be the new kid in town, and you desperately want relationships and friendship. So we pray for that. And of course, pray for their spiritual lives. Even though we may not know where they're at with Christ, we can pray that, God, today would they be closer to you than they were yesterday. Things of this nature. So we pray blessings in their lives. So Jesus says, first, pray for them. I would submit to you that a first step would be constantly praying for people that you encounter. Sometimes it's a quick encounter. Sometimes it's lengthy. Maybe you live in the same neighborhood with them and they're a neighbor of yours or a coworker or friend. So we go on from verse 5. <clears throat> First say peace to this house, and if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Then verse 7. Verse 7 says stay. Stay in the house. Stay in that house. This is one of my favorite parts. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. <laughs> Eating and drinking whatever they give you. Whatever they give you for the workers deserves his wages and do not move around from house to house. And so I see a step here. I see some instruction here. I, I see pray for them and then secondly, stay with them. Stay with them. And as much as you can, stay in contact with this person. And as much as you can, develop a, a relationship with this person. Again, it may be a, a very brief relationship, a matter of minutes or an hour, if you're passing in transportation maybe, or maybe it's a, a much lengthier relationship. But spend time with them. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> I came across uh, an author that talked about living in 3D, living three-dimensionally, if you will. So often our relationships, our acquaintances, and the people that we know is so shallow, uh, kind of one-dimensional. And so this author, author really sh struck a chord with me. He said, live, live in 3D. Cool. Let's live in 3D beyond the surface. And so he described it this way. 
first develop the first is develop relationships develop friendships you probably if you've been a christian for very long you have probably experienced this whether you notice or not when i first became a christian i only had a couple of christian i only knew a couple of christians i had a lot of non-christian friends a lot of non-christian friends only a couple Okay, but I started going to church like you're supposed to, you know. I started going to Bible studies, and I started making Christian friends, and that's good, and developing more Christian relationships. And so my Christian friends began to increase, and my, uh, my, my non-Christian friends, I started hanging out with them less and less, uh, and they began to decrease. And before I knew it, before it even I noticed, I looked around, and I'm like, I don't have a close relationship with any non-believer. Any, everyone I hang out with, everyone I know, everyone I spend time with is, is a believer. And so that's what you might call an inverse correlation, you know. Like if you have a positive correlation, uh, you know, it's like you get taller, well, your weight goes up. So they both go up. In this case, it's the inverse. It's the opposite. The more time you're Christian, the less non-Christian friends you typically have. All right? And that's a problem. Yes, we want to be close to our Christian brothers and sisters, and they should be our deepest friends, but we should have, we need to have relationships with those who are not yet believers. And Jesus, Jesus himself sets that example with eating and spending time uh, with, with non-believers. Develop friendships. Uh, always looking to see every, every encounter, every time I see someone or meet someone or, or, or pass, you know, encounter them, I should be thinking, I would encourage you to think, there's a possible relationship here. Could be short, could be long. Uh, it's a possible relationship. And lean into that. When you look at the Gospel of, of, of Luke chapter 15, we won't turn there again for the sake of time, but uh, Jesus has something to say and teach us about people who are outside of our, our circles, our normal circles. He teaches about, uh, he teaches about the lost sheep. Some of you have heard that. He teaches about the lost sheep, leaving the 99 at home and going out and looking for the one that's not there. Then right after that, he teaches about uh, the lost coin. Well, the woman turns her house upside down. She has some but money, but she turns her house upside down and does all she can to go and find the one coin that's lost. And then the, the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, and the father's heart for finding that lost son. So Jesus says something in the scriptures there about the ones that are not here this morning with us. Um, I love an approach to the scripture called Discovery Bible Study. I was talking to some of you about it yesterday. In Discovery Bible Study, we take a very simple approach and we ask a couple of big questions and just go from there. And one question is, what does this passage say about God? So if I was looking at Luke chapter uh, 15 about the lost coin the lost sheep and the lost son and i asked what does it tell me about god i believe it would tell me among other things it tell me that the missing matter to god and god loves each and one every one of you here this morning desperately but the people that are not here that could be filling these seats the people that are out there not even thinking about god today this morning they mean a lot to god He's saying about Jesus going to the cross willingly this morning. And he did that for you, and he did it for me, and that overwhelms me and humbles me. But he also did it 
for every single person out there that's not with us today. The missing mattered to God. In BBS, we also ask the question, what's this say about people? What is this, these, these stories of the lost tell me about people? That these people are important. They're not less important. They're not less than me. If they matter to God, then they are important. They are valuable people. And so we want to develop relationships with people. That's the first D. The second D is discover stories. This is so fun. This is fun. Everybody has stories. Everybody, and, I, and I found everybody has interesting stories. You know, so as we begin to develop a relationship, well, yeah, well, what brings you to this city? Well, where are you from originally? Uh, you know, and, and, we, and we began to hear their story. And there's an old saying that says that people don't care what you know until what? They know that you care. And I, just me, Daryl, I don't know of anything that expresses more genuine care towards someone else than listening to them. How are you? What brings you here? Tell me your story. I'm interested in you. Man, that says I care. We need to be honest about it. But that says I care. And once people see that you care, now they become interested in well, what do you know and who do you know. So discover their stories. So develop friendships, discover stories. And the third D is discern your next steps. So while you're doing this, while you're, uh, while you're developing relationships and while you are discovering the story, you're always praying to God and always asking the Spirit of God, well, what do I do next? Where do I go with this relationship next? Do, uh, do I have, is there a way I can help them? A simple help, like give them a ride to the, to the S-Bahn, or can I uh, help them, sh show them around the town, or maybe I can loan them a few euros, or I can just sit with them for coffee. How can I care for them? How, Holy Spirit, how can I pray for them? God, is, there, is it time for me to share some truth with them? How do I put, begin to share truth with them? So discern next steps. So living in 3D. Living in 3D. It's an exciting way to live. It's such an exciting way to live to think that everybody you encounter could just possibly be some new friend or someone that you, uh, that you could eventually come to share truth and the love of God with. So back to our, our scripture. Verse 5, I pull from verse 5 this first step, pray for people. From verse 7, I, I find this uh, instruction, step 2, spend time with them, stay with them, get to know them. Then in verse 8, it goes on, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat whatever they set before you. Again, I like the eating part too. Uh, in verse 9, it says, heal the sick who are there. Heal the sick who are there. In the times that are written about in, in the New Testament, healings were to heal the person physically or mentally or spiritually, to heal them, but there was a greater purpose for healing. And that same purpose is for any kind of healing or helps today. And the purpose is to serve as a sign. Wasn't just for the sake of healing, the lame man so that he could walk again, or the blind man so he could see again. That's wonderful. But the greater purpose in the healing was always to point, be a sign that points to Jesus. That points to Jesus. Any miracle or any sign that points to a person, I would be cautious of. Very, very cautious of. Any healing or, or, or miraculous work that pointed to anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ, 
I would be careful about. Uh, healings are to be assigned to Jesus. Now, maybe today you have opportunity as you meet people to uh, pray for healing for their body or lay hands on them and they're, and they're healed. Okay, but maybe it's not healing. Maybe healing is just one of many examples. Maybe it's more about helping them. Healing is helping them, but caring for them in a multitude of ways, helping them figure out, well, how do I pay, pay my bills, my electric bill in, in, in Germany? You know, how do I do this, you know, my, pay my taxes? How do I get around town? Uh, friends are helping me right now le- relearn how to use the S-Bond and the U-Bond and the all kinds of bonds, you know? Uh, and, and so helping them. So maybe it's just helping in very, what we might think is just ordinary, simple ways. But when we do that, let's use that opportunity while we help them to, to make it be a sign pointing to Jesus. Why are you doing this? Man, because Jesus loves you so much. And that love he has given me, and I'm just passing it on to you. Why would you be so generous and, and just give me some money? Well, every all the money I have belongs to God. And he it's a blessing for me to use it in such a way to give it to you. Just ways to, simple comments, simple ways to, to use our helping others as a sign pointing to Jesus. So we got pray with them, pray for them, pray with them. Uh, we have stay with them, develop relationships with them, uh, discover their stories and discern your next steps as you're led by the Spirit. Help them in any way that you can. And then in the second half of verse 9 brings me to the fourth and the final step that I see in these scriptures. So heal the sick who are there and tell them, tell them, step four, tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Teach them, tell them the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of ways that we can do that. It could be a simple comment as God knows you and he loves you. That's me telling them that the kingdom of God is near. God created this world, and he created you on purpose. That's a way of telling them that the kingdom of God is near. Saying, God bless you to the waiter or the waitress. God bless you. That's a way of communicating to them that the kingdom of God is near. Preaching the gospel on the street corner to whoever might listen, that's a way of telling them that the kingdom of God is near. Making an acquaintance with someone and developing a little bit of a relationship with them and inviting them to to sit with you and consider the scripture over coffee. That is a way of telling them that the kingdom of God is near. So whether it's a a, a comment to someone, a one-sentence comment to someone you may never see again, or by God's grace, you have a, a relationship that develops and you can sit down with them for an hour, week after week after week, and share with them what the scripture says uh, about how God loves them and how Jesus died for them. That is a way of telling them how the kingdom of God is near. There's a, there's a quote, a very famous quote. Uh, I've seen it on signs. I've seen it in books. I don't think I've ever seen it on a t-shirt, maybe. Maybe. Uh, And it says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Uh, And quite often, when I Google that, uh, it comes up the same person gets credit for it. Uh, It's St. Francis of Assisi. 
I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe he said it. Maybe he didn't. Uh, I think the sentiment of that statement, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I think the sentiment there is that let you know, walk your talk, live according, you know, live with integrity according to your belief. Don't believe one thing or say you believe one thing and live a life a different way. I get that. But the problem I have with this statement, nothing against Saint Assisi if he did if he said it, but the problem I have with the statement is use words when necessary. No. Ne words are necessary. We have to speak the gospel to them. We have to share the love of God with them with our mouth. The scripture says in Romans 10, 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. No one is ever going to receive salvation from God because they see me leave my house and, and, and disappear for an hour or two at church and then come back on Sunday morning. No one's going to come to salvation for me just being a nice guy. No one's going to come to salvation just because I might loan them a few dollars. All that is good. But it takes the gospel being preached, the gospel being spoken, the word of God being shared, the truth being shared. So I say, preach the gospel at all times, in all ways, and it is always necessary. It is always necessary to use words. Now, there's a time and place for everything. Maybe you've been trained in evangelism, and sometimes we have only a moment. You know, I like sometimes uh, uh, sitting next to somebody on the airplane, uh, especially an international flight, because they're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, especially if I got them on the inside, you know, seat, and I put my feet out so they can't get out, and I start, ah, so, you know, and then we get around to some, some conversation. Sometimes I do that. Uh, but once upon a time, I was trained to just go door to door and knock, and, and they open the door, and like, do you know, you know, do, do you know Jesus? No? Ah, oh, did you know that now you're going to hell because you don't? Uh, you know, and then the door would be slammed in my face quite often. I think there's a time and a place for that kind of evangelism, but what a beautiful thing to be able to just invite someone to sit down with you over coffee and, and consider the scripture, consider the truth. Now it's not me just telling you something, it's me saying, this is what God's word says, and then I kind of lean back and let the Holy Spirit speak to them in respect to that. Uh, sometimes we call that disciple making. Let me end with this, this, this story. I have no idea what time this, this is supposed to, what time I'm supposed to be on. I have no idea. I just started talking, and I'm looking for a clock everywhere, and oh, there's a timer. <laughs> um, so I have a nephew. He's, now he's 31, maybe 32 years old. Uh, he lives in a city uh, different than the city I live in. Anyway, uh, I, I, as Jeff mentioned, I had I'd been living in Germany for several years and uh, planted a church, and um, we're here for quite a long time, and then God called us back to the United States to be close to my elderly mother. When I went back to be close to my elderly mother in, in the United States, uh, I also was close to a lot of extended family. Uh, I got enough family within one hour of where I live to fill up this whole side of the church. A bunch of, they're everywhere. So I have a whole new mission field, and they all have the same last name as me. Uh, so I started praying for them. I started staying with them. I started eating and drinking whatever they, well, not whatever they gave me, but quite a bit of what they gave me. Uh, and I began being involved in their lives and helping where I could. And uh, so I'm kind of known in our family as the family chaplain, you know, the religious guy. There's not many of us. Uh, so anyway, this nephew I, I mentioned, this nephew, Zach, he, he, uh, he, he falls in love with a beautiful young lady and says he wants to marry and would I uh, officiate the, the ceremony. And I said, well, come to my house and let's have some conversations. And so we 
They both come. We sit at the kitchen table. And I say, I want to tell you all about, you know, God's idea, his plan, his intention for marriage. So we talk about that. I said, now to understand that, appreciate that, and live that out, you also have to understand that God has a whole plan and intention for you as a man and you as a woman, as individual people, his creation. So we get, so that leads us to the gospel presentation. And so I, uh, in this lengthy conversation at the kitchen table, I get to the point where God loves you, sin has separated us, Jesus has provided for you, will you receive? All right, so that kind of, and, and he, you know, he loves me, and he, uh, he's so respectful, and he says, if I was to say yes and believe, I would be a hypocrite. If I was to say yes, it wouldn't be honest, and I can't lie to you, Uncle Daryl. I love it when he calls me Uncle Daryl. I don't know. And so, so he, just being truthful and honest and respectfully declined. Of course, my heart sunk, uh, but I said, well, let's leave this as an open door to future conversations. Absolutely. By the way, his fiance was, uh, was a Christian, was a believer. So several months later, six to nine months later, I get a text, and he says, hey, Uncle Daryl, so I like that, he says, uh, would you have time to, you know, maybe show me how to get started? I want to start reading the Bible and kind of start learning that. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy for that kind of stuff. No, I didn't say that. I said, I said you know, as fast as I could type, you know, with one finger, yes, let's do it. Okay, so. We, uh, we started meeting. He lives in a place called Dallas, Texas. I'm in San Antonio, six-hour drive. So we did the, all this over Zoom, all this over Zoom. And uh, so we started meeting, and I said, hey, let's do this. Let's look at this thing called the Gospel of John. So there's 21 chapters. For 21 weeks, we would come to that scripture, and I'd ask him things like, what are you thankful for this week? What's going on? What's tough in your life this week? And I'd pray for him, and we'd celebrate the good stuff. And then, uh, okay, you read the scripture, let's read it together. i like, what's it say about God? What's it say about you or people? The next day or the next week, chapter 2, same thing. Celebrate, talk about this. What's it say about God? What's it say about people? What's it say about you? What's it and so that went on over and over and over again for 21 weeks through 21 chapters of John. And then at the end of that, I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? I mean, over and over again, he would tell me, well, what this means is if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, he'll save you. That just means if you will surrender to Jesus, he will save you. I'm like, yeah, that's what it says. That's what it means. Like, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> it's like I had a big fish on my fishing pole. And I, was, I didn't want to pull too hard, you know. And so after 21 weeks, I, I shared with him the exact same gospel presentation I shared you know, nine months ago, a little longer than that, I said the same thing about how God loves you, died for you, Christ died for you, and you can receive him by faith. And, and he did. And he did. And I didn't tell him what to pray, how to pray. I just said, hey, why don't you respond to this scripture and, and tell God what you're thinking and feeling. And, of course, he stumbled around how he said it. The most beautiful prayer is how, God, thank you for loving me so much. And I didn't even think, I never even thought of you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, and I want to live a life, you know, with you leading me. And, and I'm like, well, of course I'm crying, you know, and, and, and it's all over Zoom. It's all happening over Zoom. Uh, and I learned that God can work through Zoom as well. And so he did that. And so I asked him just recently, I asked him, what was the difference? Why not, why did you not receive Christ? Why, what held you back? versus when you received and this is what he said well i'm not really sure but he said um it's kind of like 
I was being asked to um, trust someone I didn't even know. Yeah, you just told me who he was, but I didn't really know him. He said, after spending all these weeks, these months, looking at the Bible and talking with me, he said, ah, now I know who Jesus is. Now I got to know who Jesus is. Yes, I'll trust him. I'll trust him. That was the big difference for him, and he's just been growing in leaps and bounds. So that's one of that's my most recent and uh, you know victories that Christ has just blessed me to be a part of. And um, so yeah, we we want to we want remember we are sent by God. We're sent by God. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. It can be scary at times, but God is with us all the time. May I pray? Let me close this. Yeah. All right, Father God, what a beautiful beautiful uh god that you are what a loving father good good father you are god i pray that today as we were sitting here and we're considering your word and this example of how the 72 were sent out god i pray that each one of us if we haven't already that we would be thinking about yeah that person at the kiosk that i see quite often yes that neighbor next door oh yeah my my nephew that lives maybe in another country but we would put people on our hearts and on our minds, God, and we would begin to think, how can I live in a way that I pray for them, I spend time with them, I, I, I help them, and tell them, uh, as you lead me, tell them about God's love and what Jesus Christ did for them and the life that he has for them. So stir our hearts with compassion, with the compassion of Jesus. Give us the eyes, your eyes, God, to see people the way you see people how valuable they are, how valuable they are, and how valuable we are, God, and that you have given us everything we need to do everything you intend for us to do as we go into every town and every place. God, for your glory, for our blessing, and for the sake of lost souls in this world. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.